What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Then and Now Sports Podcast. James and Nick back here with another episode. What's going on, Nick? I'm doing good, and we're back with football. I'm ready for this. Let's go. Big football weekend, especially in college, where a lot of things were shaken up in the AP poll, just in all these games, some upsets, some, some dominant victories. And we'll start with the most dominating victory, which was Ohio State making a light work of Wisconsin. And in the first half of this game, it was very close. It was 10 nothing at half. Wisconsin's defense played very well. They held the Ohio State offense in check. But this Ohio State defense, led by Chase Young, who I'm going to start off this podcast with a pretty hot take, Nick. Chase Young has to be a Heisman contender and like i don't i'm not gonna say he's the number one favorite right now it's it's tough to say that but he had four sacks in this game six tackles two forced fumbles and this is against a wisconsin team who has a very uh, not the best they're pretty much known for their defense but they got jonathan taylor jack cohen is a pretty solid quarterback and chase young was dominant in this game so We'll get into the game a little bit first, but what do you think about Chase Young's Heisman candidacy? Is that legit or no? I'm going to give you another hot take. Are oh, you ready for wow. this? Wow, <laughs> we're starting off hot today. My hot take is that's not a hot take. I wow. think Chase Young wow. is definitely a Heisman contender, probably number two to Joe Burrow right now. Um, I, I can't think of anybody else who has the resume that Chase Young has on a team like Ohio State, and it's just clear he's one of the best players in the nation, and he's got to be treated as such. And when, when you're one of the best players in the nation, you got to be in the Heisman candidacy. And it doesn't always work out like that, but it definitely needs to here because he is undoubtedly a special pass rusher. So he leads the nation in sacks with 14 sacks. He's already surpassed last year's total, and there's still about five to six games, depending on how far they go in the race. So he has legit a legit shot at making a 20-sack season. And if that happens, I mean, that I get Joe Burrow has been outstanding. You can't take away what he's done. Of course, Tua, I know Tua's hurt, but if Tua's healthy, he's definitely a legit Heisman contender too, but... If this guy pulls off a 20-sack season, he's already got five forced fumbles on the season. Come on. I think I think he's... I, this can't just be a, a quarterback award, a yearly award we just give to the best quarterback because they already have those. They have those individual awards. And the Heisman has to be the best player in college football, and Chase Young is among them right now. I'm not ready to say he's been far and away the best because we're going to get to Joe Burn a little bit. He had another great game this week. But Chase Young is, I would say, neck and neck with Joe Burrow. And Tua. I'm not even going to toss Tua out because Tua's only missed one game. And I'm not ready to throw Tua out of this race yet either. But Chase Young is neck and neck with these guys. I'm, I'm going to agree with that. I think he's neck and neck with Joe Burrow. That's, that's the main competition right now be, between those two guys. And I'm not going to throw Tua completely out, but he's on the bench right now for, for, for the Heisman candidacy i i'm gonna put joe burrow and chase young and then on the bench is like tua and justin herbert maybe 
those those two are and Jonathan Taylor, I guess. Those three are on the bench. And right now the stars on the field are Chase Young and Joe Barrow. Well, back to this game. Jonathan Taylor, who you talked about, had his worst game of the season and he couldn't find any kind of running lanes. Twenty carries for fifty two yards, only averaged two point six yards per carry. And then on the other side, how about J.K. Dobbins? 20 carries, same amount, 163 yards. And then he has 58 yards receiving. He was the better running back in this game. And you have to say that these two defenses, Wisconsin probably had the better defense coming into this game, which makes what J.K. Dobbins did even more impressive. But Wisconsin's defense was having trouble all day stopping the run. Justin Fields broke off a nice run. Master Teague had 13 carries for 76 yards. So this Ohio State offense showed that, listen, the defense held Wisconsin to seven points. That's a given that they're going to be a great unit. But for this offense to come out and smack up the best defense in the country coming into this game, I mean, we're going to get to who's the number one team in the country in a little bit. But just to preview that, you, you don't think Ohio State has a legit claim to that? They do have a legit claim claim to that but I think that LSU is the clear number one in the nation right now I think I think like you you look at the resume and LSU's resume is unmatched like they have three top 10 wins only team in the nation with three top 10 wins you can't beat that you you can you can pull out the the dominance of Ohio State but when you're beating teams of the caliber of LSU, this Wisconsin team, I mean, this Wisconsin win definitely helps their case in that regard. And it was a dominant win. But LSU has been putting up, putting up, going into games with the same method that they have been all season and destroying teams with their offense. And this defense is now starting to come on too. And I think, I think, with the resume that LSU has, you just can't argue it. You you can't argue it, but you can't be mad that LSU is in the spot right now. So we might as well get into it now then with Ohio State versus LSU because you think LSU is going Here's my case for Ohio State. LSU probably has the best resume out of all these teams. But if we're, you're looking for the best team in college football, I think it's Ohio State. I think week in and week out, they just smack up their opponents, whoever it is. And on both sides of the ball, too. They can smother you with their defense. They have Jeff Okuda in the secondary. They have Chase Young, of course, rushing the passer. And then they have a great offense. Justin Fields has been outstanding through his first year. And then J.K. Dobbins is slowly becoming one of the best running backs in Ohio State history. That puts a solid receiving core. You have Chris Olav, who had a pretty good game this past week. And... I think Ohio State is just the best all-around team. Now, I'm I'm going to give you LSU's resume. They have the best resume, but it's not like they won all of those games at convincingly. It, it, all three of those big wins that they had probably could have went the other way pretty easily. So I just think we're talking about the best, far and away the best, most talented, best team in the nation. I think it's Ohio State. I mean... I, I don't want to put them side by side, but I'm just saying, like, when you look at LSU's offense and their defense, there are a bunch 
of future NFL pros on, on that team. I mean, from Joe Burrow to um, Grant Helpit, you're, you're good, on both sides of the ball. You just have solid pros. Like I, at least I see them on on that team. So I don't know talent all around. Like it's it's that far off. I think I think it's definitely comparable, and I don't think Ohio State definitely has a runaway case in that regard either. Yeah, listen, LSU's offense is legit. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a legit running back. He's he's probably equal to J.K. Dobbins at this point. And LSU has a pretty deadly receiving core with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. They're a legit team. But I just think Ohio State, the way they've been winning these games is more impressive to me, at least, than how LSU has been winning their games. And listen, LSU has the best resume. I'm, I'm not here to say... Uh, it's it's very impressive what LSU has done through their season because they've beat some really quality opponents now. But I just think the best team in the nation is in Columbus. So well, I guess we're gonna agree to a disagree there. Yep, but, I, those were actually the exact words I was thinking of. Yeah, but oh, let's get into that Auburn LSU game. Might as well. This was a pretty close encounter for the most part. The first half was just dominated by goal line stands and big time defensive stops by Auburn had some huge ones LSU knew not to be outdone they had some big they stopped once they were stopped by Auburn inside the the five yard line whatever it was they came back and forced a three and out to get great field position on the next drive so LSU was playing very good on defense and so was Auburn and I think the difference in this game was the quarterbacks Bo Nix just didn't have it. He's still a freshman, and it's he's just going through growing pains right now. And he just didn't have the uh, he, that one throw he made. Did, I, I know you know what I'm talking about when he's pretty much out of bounds, and he just tosses it up. That was one of the luckiest throws I've ever seen. <laughs> but you know what? I, it, it made for good TV, so I can't hate on it. I mean, that and then Auburn ran the ball pretty well. DJ Williams with 130 yards on the ground. But just Bo Nix just wasn't able to make the throws when they needed him to. And that was the difference. Auburn makes a late run back in this game. They were down by 10 in the second half. And, you know, a five-yard touchdown from Bo Nix put him in position. But they come up short late. So uh, let's talk about Auburn here. We kind of beat up on LSU. We already talked about LSU. What is the problem with this Auburn team? Does it just come down to the quarterback is too young, or is there some other underlying problem that you think is there for now? Not that there's a problem. I shouldn't say problem, because they're the number nine ranked team coming into this game, and they hung in there with the now number one ranked team. So it's not like there's a problem with them, but it seems like they're talented enough to win these kind of games. But, you know, what is the reason they aren't winning a game like this? Well... Okay, so if you look at their defense, their defense is clearly not the problem here because Joe Burrow and LSU were running through teams with, with their offense. Joe, Joe Burrow was lighting up teams going through the schedule for LSU. And the, the Auburn defense had a good bend don't break it, when, when they did bend they they stepped back into place really hard because it was it was on fourth fourth down stands that they showed up and had their brightest moments and yeah they they did what they had to do in order to win this game if they had a better offense 
it would it yeah you you have to put it on the offense because if they if they had a better offense and when you're facing an elite offense like Joe Burrow and LSU you gotta you just gotta take what you can get there so you have to expect the offense to to perform to higher expectations and I think Gus Malzahn is doing a great job play calling in that offense um they're they're very creative and they got they got really inventive with how to pick up yards against this LSU defense. And overall the play calling is is structured in a way that even with Bo Nix's failings as a quarterback, they can still move the ball downfield and they can still, you know, form quality drive. So for me, it does come down to Bo Nix. Now, as Bo Nix gets older, as he progresses through through college he's gonna get a lot better you you could see the talent in Bo Nix but right now he's just too young and physically and mentally he's just not on the level of these elite teams in the NCAA and that's fine but going forward I think expectations are going to continue to rise for Auburn and we're gonna have to see how Bo Nix adjusts to that well, I think another problem too, Jartavius Whitlow was a really big piece for them for most of the season, and he's hurt now. He's going to be, he actually, he was out for, I think I read that he was out for a month, but he actually dressed for this game and actually ran the ball a couple times, but he's clearly not even close to 100%. So losing him, a guy who put in 553 yards, and he had a three-touchdown game performance again against Mississippi State uh, about a month ago back. So losing him definitely hurts because he brings another element to that offense. But yeah, I think it does come down to Bo Nix. And listen, we've seen flashes. The flashes are there and it's just, he might just be too young and not ready for this yet. Uh, It's good to have him go through this now though, because now he's going to have this freshman experience. He's going to have run through the gauntlet already. He's going to have to play to LSU, uh, Georgia, did they play Florida? I believe they did play Florida. Yeah, they did. Didn't they beat Florida? Yeah, I or? think they did. Yeah, yeah, no, no, they did beat Florida, and then they're gonna play Alabama and Georgia. So he's gonna be very battle tested going into next year. So I think Auburn has a lot to be excited for moving forward. But for now, let's move on to a big upset that happened, and this is a team that I had ranked. Number four, I had this team ranked higher than Clemson, but Oklahoma comes out and lays a dud. And I mean, it's hard to say they laid a dud when they were one onside kick away, which they almost they they did get, but it after further review, it was hit at the nine yard mark, which it's the onside kick supposed to travel ten yards at the nine yard mark. It hit off one of their players, so caused an illegal touching but Oklahoma was really one like one yard away from getting the ball back and probably tying the game but I mean they tra- they trailed 41-23 in the th- fourth quarter so excuse me they were actually 48-23 in the fourth quarter so this was just a really I was surprised because I thought this Oklahoma defense had made big strides. Same. If you compare them to last year, last year they were at the bottom in every category. This year they actually ranked among the top five in every defensive category, at least in the Big 12. 
Now, I know that's not saying much because the Big 12 is primarily an offensive conference. These defenses aren't the same as you see in the SEC or the Big 10. But Oklahoma's defense had definitely made some strides, especially that Texas game. They were outstanding in the Texas game. I was about to bring that up. So what do you think happened here to Oklahoma as they now try to regroup themselves and go forward? Well, I definitely think this is this was a reality check for the Oklahoma defense, but I also I also want to give credit to Skylar Thompson, who had a really, really good game in this game. He was making like NFL level throws in this game. I was like, who who is this guy? Some of the throws he was making in this game were were insane. Um, A lot of throws to the outside that that really caught my eye. And he was also making plays on his feet like he was. He had three rushing touchdowns, I believe. And I think that dual threat and the utilization of Kansas State to really vary their game plan and and attack Oklahoma from multiple angles. We we know Sam Ellinger can also make plays on his feet, but I think Kansas State did uh, a better job of utilizing the talents of their players and making sure they were attacking Oklahoma State. I mean, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma from all angles and at, at the top of their abilities. Well, a big, I don't want to make this all about Oklahoma, but I think a key turning point in this game was in the second quarter, they were up 20 to 17 and they make an ill-advised, they had a jet sweep to the receiver and he looks like he was going to throw, go, puts it, tucks it back in, looks like he's about to run. Then he sees a receiver wide open and he makes the throw. It was a pretty good throw. But it bounces off the receiver, or the other receiver, and turns into an interception, which turns into a touchdown for Kansas State. And I, what I, why I said it was ill-advised is because they were inside their own twenty-five with about a minute left. So it's not like they were driving and this happened. This kind of was just like they could have punted the ball back if anything, wasted some, took some time off the clock, and at least gave it to Kansas State in tough field position. But. Uh, an ill-advised play call there, which led to Kansas State going into half with the lead. And another thing I noticed, Jalen Hurst is the only runner for Oklahoma. Like, do they have running backs in Oklahoma? Am I missing someone who is injured? I, I believe Trey Sermon that's, was that's their a good guy. Point. That's but a good point. They don't really run a lot with him. And Justin J- Jalen Hurts goes for 96 yards on 19 carries. And, I mean, do they expect him to do it all? C.D. Lamb, obviously, he was kind of held in check until that 70-yard touchdown pass. So, I, I feel like this Oklahoma offense is crazy. I mean, the defense did not play well. I'm not trying to take, uh, take blame away from the defense because they did not play well. But the offense was very one-dimensional. And it kind of all went through Jalen Hurts' this game. And it's just tough to win when you have your main focus. This guy is going to run and pass. Obviously, it's a dual threat, but... They know who's going to be in charge of the ball. So, I don't know. I think Oklahoma needs to spice up their running game a little bit going forward. All right. And Kansas State, kudos to them. They played outstanding for the most part. They, I will say they, that they got very shaky in the fourth quarter. They gave up three consecutive touchdowns, uh, no, two touchdowns and a field goal, which... And like like we brought up the onside kick, they were, they really almost blew this game with a twenty five point lead in the fourth quarter. That would have just been absolutely insane. But 
they escape with the big upset, and now it looks like Oklahoma is not dead and gone in the water, but they they're definitely wounded from that game. So they're gonna have to win the Big Twelve if they want any chance of making the college football playoff, and even that might not be enough at this point. Going into one more game, we wanted to discuss big time blowout in Ann Arbor this weekend with Michigan just absolutely destroying Notre Dame. And this is going to be the last time these two teams play until, I believe, 2033, something like that. They announced That's it. crazy. It is crazy to see that these two teams aren't going to play each other again. But it, Michigan sent it out with a bang as this is a much-needed win for Jim Harbaugh. And is this more of a Michigan statement, or is this Notre Dame just... Just not being ready for this. Uh, you will say, we have to say it was really bad conditions. Like both quarterbacks did not do much. Neither quarterback threw for over fifty percent completion percentage. Mostly a running attack. But what did you see from this game? Well, I think given the situation, given the rumors and the speculation, I think it's definitely more of a Michigan statement win because there were talks of Jim Harbaugh getting fired that he was not a championship caliber coach. And I'm not saying he is, like, particularly. I'll say he is. Oh, okay. Okay. I mean, he, he went to a Super Bowl in the NFL. I think he's a championship caliber coach. In college, though? I mean, it, it hasn't worked out how he's wanted to, but there's been two years where if he beats Ohio State, he's in the college football playoff. And we so could he's also... Been close. He's been very close. If we're going to... if. You know what, I'm going to say this just for the laughs, but if we could say that Jim Harbaugh is a championship-level coach, can we say that Jeff Fisher is a championship-level coach? Wow. Wow. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't even necessary. <laughs> that was a half joke, but like I'm half serious. Just because someone makes the Super Bowl doesn't make them like an elite coach automatically. I, that's a good point, but I mean, I, I feel like Jim Harbaugh has had enough success he had success in no, Stanford. No, you're right. You're he went right. to the Rose Bowl in Stanford. Goes to the NFC Championship game. Was it three years in a row? It was three years in a row. Makes a Super Bowl appearance. Goes to Michigan. And there's been two years where Michigan is one game away from making the college football playoff. So he's had them in contention two years. No, I, I get it. But, like, there's a difference between, you know, um, what, what's a good... Uh, let's say, okay, you're going to get mad at this one, but I'm going to go for it anyway. There's a difference between, like, a Rex Ryan and a Bill Belichick, like a Kirby Smart and a Nick Saban, like, and maybe Jim Harbaugh is just on that, that tier below the elite coaches in, in college football. That's all I'm saying. I, I guess I'm not going to put him on the level of Saban and, Dabo Sweeney. I'm not Urban Meyer. Like in college, Harbaugh is not on that level. He he hasn't proven yeah, to but be those, such. Those are those are the those are the um coaches that win but championships. What I'll like, say is he's on the level right underneath it, and I don't think like what who are you gonna fire him for? Like if they fire know, him this year, okay, who, yes, who was the upgrade on Jim Harbaugh? That's the big argument, and that's the problem with Michigan football. They have these these incredible expectations that like they're going to win a na national championship every year 
and then the, that just doesn't happen. And then that's why you get, like, you know, coaches getting, like, Jim Harbaugh getting fired because they expect nothing less than, like, top of the top. And when they don't get that, everybody's in a frenzy and everybody's like, oh, we got to fire him. You know, he's not, he's not the greatest football coach of all time. Let's get him out of here. So, yeah, that's what, that's what happens. Now, now that's the argument. But you got to also make the argument if, that Jim Harbaugh isn't exactly what they want. Is it time to fire him? I say no too. A lot of people, a lot of like, a lot of teams would like you know probably love Jim Harbaugh as their coach. So it it just depends what you want. If you want to continue searching for that that best of the best coach until you get him, then then go straight ahead. But Jim Harbaugh is is who he is. And I just don't see an improvement on him. I mean, if there's one college football coach that's young enough and, like, ready for a spot like like Michigan and he wouldn't even take it because he already has it, it's Lincoln Riley because he already has his situation in Oklahoma where that's a big-time situation. He's not going to go up to Michigan. He's going to probably go to the NFL. That would be his next step. So outside of that, I mean, maybe I'm I'm just sleeping on someone, but I don't see an upgrade on Jim Harbaugh anywhere in college football. So we'll see where that goes. But a, an outstanding performance by Michigan. They ran the ball well. This was like horrible conditions. Like we said, the rain was coming down. Ian Book, who, a guy who I was pretty high on, 8 for 25 throwing the ball. Just only 32%, 2.9 yards per attempt. It was not a good one. Notre Dame couldn't even run the ball well. There was no success on the ground, no success passing. There was just no success for the Notre Dame offense. And on the flip side, Michigan, you know, their offense, Shea Patterson didn't throw the ball outstandingly well, but he threw for 100 yards at least. The run, they had two guys running the ball with Haskins and Charbonnet, and they ran the ball pretty efficiently. And just a great performance by Michigan. And the defense stepped up. So now let's take that from college talk and transition to the NFL. We got to start off with this game. Because this game has two teams that are trending in the sim- a very similar direction. And it's the Chargers and the Bears. Now, just so many different moments in this game that could have went like the Chargers should have lost it. The Bears should have lost it. But in the end... It was the Bears who lose it on a questionable decision. And Matt Nagy doubled down on it at the post-game press, press conference. He said he had zero thought of going for uh, for extra yards, going for a pass or run to move up from a 41-yard field goal. So was this the right decision? I mean, it's so easy in hindsight to say, but I mean, would you? if I'm going to put you in the coach, uh, in the shoes of a coach, you're looking at a 41-yard field goal, and you have a timeout, and you have about 50 seconds left. You're not going to at least take a shot or two, or even if you're not going to take a shot, you're not going to run the ball, try to push the pile, because guess what? They ran the ball for about 150 yards with David Montgomery, so even if they know the run's coming, it's not like you haven't been successful with the run. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I don't get it, but I guess like the only argument is like you're afraid that your running back is going to fumble, but that feels like more of a distrust in your team 
then trusting your kicker to make that 40 yard field goal does it not like and like to come out so openly and say oh well we could have turned the ball over there we could have taken the sack I mean you're just showing like a real lack of confidence in your offense and to be honest it is justified I can't say I blame him for not having confidence in the offense with Mitch playing like he's been playing and you know his Nagy's inefficiency to call a good running game but I mean in this game they ran the ball outstandingly well so I, I don't know here like, uh, it just, I really do feel bad for, for Madden Age to an extent because Mitch Trubisky is just not that good. And it's trouble being inventive when your quarterback is being very incompetent. Like, it, it's very hard. And obviously, the play calling has to do some of the work. You know, play calling is expected to get receivers open. Make plays that actually, you know, for that that conglomerate into drives. But you just look at teams like the Steelers or or the Raiders. They they don't have very much on offensive playmaking, but they still have like enough to to get plays geared toward their offense. And I think Matt Nagy is so like so focused in his ways that he just can't see it. He he can't see that. So. Yeah, I think I think that this offense needs to be you know rejuvenated somehow whether it's through play calling or whether it's through benching Mitch Trubisky, but until then like Matt Nagy's going to be on the hot seat and it's all all eyes are going to be on him. Well, I don't think benching Mitch is the way to go. I think what they should try to do is give Mitch more freedom to run the ball. And that's not to say he they don't let him run the ball. Um, he did run... The, he had a huge conversion in this game, actually, when they were outside of field goal range late in the fourth quarter. They let Mitch run, and Mitch had a big-time run. And that really helped them, you know... I mean, it got them into the 41-yard range of a field goal, which, you know, obviously didn't help them in the end. But I feel like if you just... Cater like Mitch Trubisky in this game had four attempts for 10 yards and that's obviously you don't want your quarterback to be in a position where he can get hurt running the ball but Mitch is clearly an athletic quarterback he can use his legs and be efficient with it why not give Mitch 10 to 12 running attempts maybe not 12 maybe that's a little too much like 8 to 10 is that too much to ask for maybe based well, on like a, a quick passing game where Mitch can get the ball out of his hands quick he can run the ball that's kind. Of, that's kind of the point I just made. Like sometimes you have to gear your game plan to your player's strength instead of like what you think is best, and that's a tough thing to do when you're a head coach and you know you have this this set idea in mind of what you want to do with the team, but sometimes you can't do those things with the players you have, and you need to compromise and make a game plan that that works for everyone. And. You know, I mean, credit for them at least deciding to run with David Montgomery. 27 attempts for 135 yards, and he broke out a 55-yard run. But, I mean, looking at these stats, they dominated in time possession. They held the ball for 38 minutes compared to the Chargers' 22. They had 26 first downs compared to 11 for the Chargers. I mean, they really should have won this game. And, I mean, the Chargers, listen, they snuck out of here with a victory. Melvin Gordon has still not been able to be efficient running the game, running the ball. 
31 yards on the ground here. Austin Eckler didn't really get any attempts rushing the ball. Wasn't really a factor in the passing game. And the passing attack was okay. I mean, Keenan Allen came in hurt, and they tried to do a little, like, a lot of underneath stuff for him, and he had seven catches for 53 yards. But this Chargers team is 3-5 and five by the skin of their teeth. And listen, credit to the Chargers for at least being in it in every game, because they are, like, there hasn't been a game we've watched the Chargers get blown out this season. I mean, the Steelers game, they kind of did, but even in that game, they fought their way back in the fourth quarter and were within a touchdown. But So credit to the Chargers for at least sticking in these games, but they are uh, they play very sloppy football, and I, they're going to play the Packers next week. So if you want to change your season around, beating Aaron Rodgers and the Packers is a good way to start. To get into another game now, this was a pretty quiet game looking at it from if you're watching Red Zone and all that stuff. It was the Broncos at the Colts. Joe Flacco, who looks like he might, this might have been Joe Flacco's last game as a Bronco potentially because he is hurt with a neck injury now and it's looking like he's going to be out for the season. They might put him on IR and if that happens, especially with his comments after the game, maybe they're just going to look to the future. But, well, they're not, and we can get into that. Wow, so you don't think you think Joe Flacco, they're going to keep Joe Flacco? No, 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 they're not looking to the future either, though, because they have a young quarterback that they're not playing on their team. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, I guess we can get to Drew Locke. I mean, but he's been injured for a lot of this season, so maybe they just don't want to throw him into the fire. I'm sure Drew Locke gets a start this season. It could happen. I don't know. It depends. Oh, uh, do we think Brandon Allen can can be okay? Hold on, Brandon Allen was at Arkansas, right? Is that this? Let me just look this up real quick because if it's the same Brandon Allen, I know. I think the he Arkansas is Arkansas one. Yes, he also played on the Rams. Yes, I'm pretty sure. Yes, I remember Brandon Allen a lot actually. He was a pretty solid college quarterback. But uh, yeah, I mean it's a temporary fix. It's kind of like a band aid, but. Drew Locke, I think they're going to definitely want to see some games from him this season. But, hey, the Broncos led the game for, led the entire, they didn't, were not trailing at any point in this game until 26 seconds left in the game, and which they lost. So That hurts. I mean, the defense showed up today, on the, on Sunday. Jacoby Brissett was struggling all day. He could not really find any open lanes. He got sacked four times. And he didn't throw a touchdown pass. Marlon Mack ran for 76 yards, so they did have a little bit of success running the ball. I don't know. what I want to gear this more towards the Broncos because the Broncos have pieces on defense. They still have Chris Harris and Von Miller, two elite caliber players at their position. Guys like Derek Wolf, Todd Davis, Shelby Harris. There's talent on this defense. And even on the offensive side, I know they traded away Emmanuel Sanders, but... They have two a two-headed monster running back with Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman, and both of these guys have shown, you know, they can be a solid duo together. Add that with Corlin Sutton. I don't know. Is, should this Broncos team be this bad? It it really shouldn't, actually. But I think it has to do with I think it has to do with the quarterback position. Um like they played it safe with Joe Flacco. They they thought, okay, if we can get a veteran presence, and they they basically got Case Keenum's replacement. They weren't striving for anything 
better. They were just striving for for someone who because for the longest time this team has been relying on its defense to get by and they they have the mindset that hey, we got Vic Fangio, we got Von Miller, we got Chris Harris and everything's going to be all right as long as we have an offense that can that can somewhat, you know, that can somewhat drive the ball down the field and put up at least 20 points a game around there. And what they're failing to realize is that those days are passing them by, that this the league is passing them by, that it's becoming a very offense-heavy league, and that, you know, their defense, their defensive players are getting older, you know. Von Miller is still, you know, still great, and Chris Harris is still really good, but they're they're starting to get older, and at a point, they're going to have to reinvent themselves, and they're going to have to rebuild themselves. And what this looks like to me is that they're trying to delay the inevitable right now. And I think come next year, you're going to start seeing the full rebuild. And I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if Drew Locke is not even a part of those plans, to be honest. Well, one thing I want to say, I want to bring up another key point in this game. We talked about how great Von Miller is, and he's, listen, he's still an elite caliber player. But he misses that sack on Jacoby Brissett. Can't remember if it was inside the end zone, but it was definitely inside the two to three yard line. And if he just wraps up Jacoby Brissett, the game's probably over. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give Jacoby Brissett some some credit on that play too. I'm not gonna put that all. It was on a, Von no, no, no. It was a nice play, but I mean, a guy like Von Miller should be able to make that play. And I'm I'm also gonna say that that throw he made after the play. Was oh, it, it was amazing. No, nah, it was a was great it, play by Brissett. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't any easy easy throw down field either like he had to dart that one in there but i'm just saying for a guy like von miller you make that play and it looks like the broncos are three and five and you know there's at least hope surrounding the team and then joe flacco after the game was pretty critical i guess the drive before that it was i don't know if it was it was third down and they had one timeout and instead of trying to throw it they ran it and just let the Colts take that time out. And he was really critical of it. But at the same time, has Joe Flacco even played well enough to warrant, you know, the confidence of his coach in that situation? Um, no, he hasn't. And I don't blame them for that. But that's also the Broncos' fault. Well, not the coaching staff's fault, but management's fault for trying to put in a Band-Aid in Joe Flacco instead of actually trying to fix the quarterback situation long term because you're wasting this defense's like prime years by trying to play this this style of football. You you got to get an offense that can keep up with the rest of the league. Even if you have a great defense in this league anymore, they, there's there's a good chance that teams are going to put up a I lot mean, of points on you. Like that's just a reality. If I could interrupt you for one second, forget the league. Their division. They play in the division with Patrick Mahomes. Exactly. They can't expect that offense to keep up with Mahomes for the next five years but if, if they don't make some like overhauling changes which I believe they started the process of trading Sanders and now obviously they got worse by trading Sanders but I mean it at least looks towards the future and they they got value for a guy who was gonna be a free agent of war so it, I don't know it was at least something but moving on from the Broncos we're so we discussed a couple of bad teams so far not bad teams but Teams that have underperformed their expectations and have just 
had some train wreck like moments. So there's a bunch of these teams you could pick out from. Who has been the closest to a train wreck in your eyes this season? Um, I don't know. Honestly, I didn't even hear your question because James Connor's injured. James Connor is injured again, and now it's making me sweat in fantasy. So, can you please repeat wow. that? <laughs> wow. Um. So there's a lot of bad teams this season, and like teams that are like I feel like they're loud about how bad they are. They're making like a fuss about how bad they are, and I'm not not in a literal sense. In a sense, like. These bad plays late in the game, they make big turnovers, crucial mental errors. So who has been the team this year that closest resembles like a train wreck in your eyes? Oh, and you're going to get mad at me for this one. I'm going to say the Jets. Oh, and- okay. So you don't listen to the question and then you just bring my team down to the dirt with you. That's that's real <laughs> nice. So, yeah, I, I just... When I look at the Jets, it's just very, very dysfunctional. When I look at, at, at the rest of the league, there is something resembling a plan. Maybe the Redskins. The Redskins are another team that I might define as a train wreck. But that's too easy. Let's go with the Jets. Adam Gase. I, d- I do not like Adam Gase. He seems very full of himself. He seems like he cannot admit any wrong that he does. And that, like, during those Luke Falk games, those those very, very tough Luke Falk games, it just seems like he gave up. Like he didn't even want to 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 call plays for that game. He he didn't even think it was worth it. And when you go into games with that mentality and you're not trying to win over your team, you're doing things that I believe adversely like alienate your team. So and, and I just I just can't get behind that. And Although they did make some good moves in the offseason, we got to remember that Adam Gase was not at the helm for any of these moves. What he go does going forward is not going to be in, you know, in succession with the moves. It's not going to be meant to build on top of the moves the Jets already made. He's going to be going down his own path. And him and Joe Douglas, I don't know what kind of relationship they have. Hopefully it's a good one. I hope the best for the Jets, but like, just the just seeing the way this team is run and coached right now, it's giving me very bad feelings. Well, I can't argue much with you, and this is gonna be the most like uh, most football guy term to use, but it starts at the top, Nick, and the ownership of this team has been brutal to say the least. It seems like there's not much of a vested interest in being hands-on and when they are hands-on it seems like they're hands-on for the wrong reasons you know how i don't understand how mike mccagney gets to spend all the money draft all the picks and then then you decide he's not your guy but you couldn't have decided that five months earlier in january so you could have given a guy like joe douglas a fresh start so listen i can go on for hours and hours about what's wrong with the jets but I'm going to pick another team, and that's the Atlanta Falcons. Because in my opinion, the Jets, while I thought they had promise on paper, I didn't see them stepping up and being like an elite caliber team. This Atlanta Falcons offense is elite. I still believe it's elite. For the, I guess the offensive line is kind of where I draw the line, because that, that unit has not been good this year. 
And they had expectations, I feel like. They they were in the Super Bowl a couple years ago, and they just haven't been able to bounce back from it. You have Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, who are at the top of their position. You get Devontae Freeman back, who, you know, is a pretty good running back. Calvin Ridley. Then on the defensive side, Deion Jones. Very talented players, and they have been they have one win to show for it and i i don't want to blame the coaching because i i haven't seen anything from dan quinn like decision making in the games or anything to show that for him to show that he's not the guy here but it just it may be something as they just need a fresh start and maybe they need an offensive mind to get in there to because the offense has always felt like it was a tick off have you felt that way like since the super bowl like it just feels like there's something off with them. And like they have the talent. You can see the talent on the on the screen. But something just doesn't feel right with them. Well, the absence of Kyle Shanahan will do that I, to you. I think that's it. That ever since they lost Shanahan, I mean they went to the playoffs the next year and they they were competitive with the Super Bowl champs that year, the Eagles. They they could argue they should have won that game. But it still always feels like that offense is a tick off. And the defense has just been downright brutal at times. I mean, to be fair, they lost Keanu Neal now for two seasons in a row. And he's got to be looked at as the backbone of that defense. But it's been brutal for the Falcons. And Dan Quinn, all likelihood, will be fired. Not to say, I think he's done a good job. I mean, he brought the Falcons to the Super Bowl. He had a playoff count. He had a... Was it the year? No, the year before, actually. I forgot about that year because that was a bit of a collapse because they started out 5-0 and and then didn't make the playoffs. But then, of course, the year after the Super Bowl, they go 11-5, and make the playoffs, win a playoff game. But all in all, I feel like there just has to be a change and it probably has to be with the head coach. And that's the only way that Falcons are going to return to prominence. So moving on from bad teams, let's go on to two teams that have some pretty solid expectations going forward now, the Eagles and the Bills. Now, it was a little shocking to see how much the Eagles beat up on the Bills. It was a pretty close game at one point, but the second half, the Eagles just run away with it. Now, the Eagles go home, and they don't have to go on the road again until December. And in this stretch, they play the Patriots, the Seahawks. They get a bye week. So they are going to play tough games, but they are going to be at their home, in their homes for a month. And then when they do go on the road, they're going to play the Dolphins, come home from the Giants, I believe, and then they play the Redskins. So I, should we be, con- like, if you're, if you're a Cowboys fan, let's put yourself in those shoes. Would you be concerned about the Philadelphia Eagles going forward? Like, I guess you're worried about the Eagles because, like, they can be really, really good. We, we've seen their best football, and when they're on point, it's clear that they are among the top teams in the NFL. But the problem is that defense. That defense is just full of holes and can fail on them any given day. And it sucks for that team and Carson Wentz that... Their their feet, no matter how well they play, it seems, is reliant on how bad their defense plays. And 
that that's the thing that's holding them back. Now, if that that defense can at least stand pat, not even not even dominate or even perform well, just be average most of the time. I think Carson Wentz and this Eagles offense is good enough and powerful enough to to win games and secure their spot as a playoff team. So, yes, I would be worried, but the Cowboys have the better team and you should be confident in that anyway. So I disagree with you to an extent. Now, I know the Eagles secondary has gotten exposed very badly, but this defensive line is a very elite core. You got Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, and Derek Barnett, who's coming on as a very good player. All three of those guys forced fumbles against the Bills this past week. So I agree, they definitely need help in that secondary, but I still think there are some good pieces on this defense. Now, if they can go out, the Broncos, now they don't have their quarterback. Uh, if you're Howie Roseman, you've got to be banging on the Broncos' door and say, hey, give I need Chris Harris. If you get Chris Harris on this defense, you're a legit, legit contender in my eyes because he takes away pressure off guys like Ronald Darby and Jalen Mills, and he's going to be... He's going to stabilize the secondary, at least. It's, it probably won't turn into a great unit, but it'll turn into an improved unit. So they got to do that. They're going to get Deshaun Jackson back hopefully soon. You get him with Alshon Jeffrey. What about Zach Ertz, though? Been a little surprising to see. I know fantasy football owners have been in shock with how little he's been used. Do you think there's a big issue going forward? or Because, I mean, Ertz was always a main target of Wentz last year. So maybe this is just some bad luck they've run into. I don't know. You're not concerned about Ertz, are you? I'm not concerned about Ertz. And talking like outside of a fantasy football sense, I mean, they've just been targeting Dallas Goddard a lot more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that they've just been getting him more involved. And that's why Zach Ertz isn't performing as well I, I don't think it has to do with with him as a player or or his talent so yeah that's that's my thoughts a word on the bills four and one start and five and one start excuse me and they just get beaten up at home is this just was it just they took advantage of an easy schedule and now we're gonna see who the real bills are i think the bills are a good team and yes they had an easy schedule I think that definitely helped but I think they're a solid team they're not there quite yet but if they keep going on this trajectory and continue adding talent through the draft and and um and maybe picking up some free agents along the way in key areas I think then we can start talking about the Bills as a playoff team. Not not there well, quite yet, but definitely I'll on the way. i actually say, I think they can make the playoffs this year. That being said, I don't think they're going to do anything if they make the playoffs this year. So, they're a close team in my eyes, though. They, they made the playoffs two years ago, so you know, they have that experience. But it's just going to be tough to that it's going to be tough for them to put in like legitimate work. That defense is close to being an elite unit, but they're still not quite there yet. But hey, they play the Redskins this week, Browns, Dolphins, Broncos, more easy games for them. And then they're going to have a tough stretch with the Cowboys, Ravens, Steelers, Patriots. So we'll, we'll see. But the Bills have shown that they're going to be able to compete in my eyes. And 
if Josh Allen can improve his game, he's still got some accuracy issues, but if he can improve those, you know, the Bills will definitely be a playoff team. If the AFC is wide open, there's not, I mean, we'll get into the AFC South later, but outside of that, there's not any real competition for that wild card spot, which is why I can see the Bills sneaking in there. Getting into a more elite caliber team. Let's go to the Cardinals and the Saints. Now, this New Orleans Saints team is outrageous. I feel like they get Breeze back, and it's just... I mean, to, to be honest, it's not like they weren't doing this with Bridgewater, but, I mean, they put up 510 yards of total offense, and this is also without Alvin Kamara. But Breeze looked great. Latavius Murray looked great. You know... Michael Thomas, 11 catches, 112 yards. Is this Saints team? I've, I had an, a good, I thought I had a good comparison, comparison for them a couple episodes ago when I compared them to Ohio State because they have a, a lot of Ohio State players on their team already with Michael Thomas and uh, Mar- Marshawn Lattimore in the secondary. But I feel like the Saints are the Ohio State of the NFL in terms of being the most complete team on both sides of the ball. Would you agree with that? Yes, they are a very complete team. Um, it just seems like they can do no wrong no matter who goes out. Um, they they just perform to an elite level. And with Drew Brees back, I mean, I I've I've mentioned my praise for Teddy Bridgewater like time and time again. And but it's not a comparison to Drew Brees. Drew Brees is one of the greatest QBs of all time and having him back is just going to make them even better and if the Saints defense can perform as well as they did um, while Drew Brees was gone now then with the Drew Brees then it's going to be really hard to beat this team moving forward I mean they held the Cardinals to 10 first downs and the Cardinals went 2 for 12 on third down with 0 for 2 on fourth down, four sacks for the Saints. The Saints defense is legit. And to be fair, the Cardinals aren't the most elite team, but they have been playing very good football lately. And the Saints just smothered them, played outstanding football all game long. And I look at the Saints, and I know the NFC is stacked. You've got teams like the Niners, the Cowboys, the Rams, the Seahawks. But I think the Saints, this is their year. This is the year where, you know, you've had these two heartbreaks past two seasons. But I I feel like it's made them battle-tested, and they have fought through another injury in their quarterback, and they're still one of the best teams in football. So this could be the Saints' year very easily. To get to our last 1 o'clock game, which we thought was going to be the battle of the top two picks from the 2015 draft, with Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, but Mariota being benched a couple weeks ago, of course, for your guy, Ryan T. You said on the podcast the resurgence of Ryan Tannehill wouldn't happen, and it's looking bad for you. It's it's looking... Okay, was this really the resurgence of Ryan Tannehill? I, I mean, mean, they're 2-0 and since he started star- starting. and Okay, but I listen, I don't want to say get into the whole what-if thing, but... If the ref, who has a clear vision of this ball being on the ground, he's literally standing right in front of it, 
like I, I don't understand why these referees continuously, week after week, they don't learn the lesson of not blowing the whistle. Let the play go, and then you can go back and review it. But once you blow the whistle and you blow the play dead, you can't go back and review it. The Bucks got a touchdown taken away from them. The Titans outrageously decide they're up by four points. They can make it a seven-point game. They go for a fake field goal, which I think is an outrageous call at this point in the game. I guess it's, you know, you want to change the momentum of it, but, I mean, you just make it a seven-point lead. They could have been losing after this thing because their punter fumbles the ball, and it should have been taken back for a touchdown, but it was blown dead. And we'll get back into the game, but how about these referees who have been pretty terrible and once they're criticized the the player or coach gets fined immediately like why don't these refs have more accountability than they they already do it's it's tough but like these these calls happen and i'm not going to defend the refs because the refs are consistently doing dumb things dumb ref things but like I I just don't know what to say because like it, like they're just yeah there is no accountability like it's to the point where I can't even think of a particular way to go about it so sh- should they be fined should they should they be should they be like you know get a dock or or like a mark I mean on like I'm their sure reputation they d- for every play they call and like there's there's a certain standard we have for refs and like there's an actual system those those are the only two things i can think about going about it because when you're talking about the problem of refs it's a very general problem it's not just this play this play this play this play it's every mistake they make and holding them accountable across the board but here's the thing i don't think they're held accountable because once they get criticized it's an automatic fine and a guy like Bruce Arians is going to get fired because that's what Bruce Arians literally said. He said there's no accountability with these refs and he's going to get fined for it. And it's like, why should he get fined for saying a factual yeah, statement? No, that's, that's because stupid. the refs caused him a lead in this game. Not to say they would have won the game because there was still time left for the Titans to maybe have come back and scored. But the refs cost them a lead. And it's like we keep seeing refs affect the outcome of the game. And like you said, it's nothing new. This has been happening. But I mean, it just has to get to a point where this isn't acceptable. It, like the, I feel like the league just tries to kind of sweep it under the rug and just say, hey, don't, don't, you know, don't be mean to the refs. You know, just let them do their job. And like, we should be able to, like, players and coaches, as long as it's a fair criticism, it, it should be allowed. But let's get back into the game and not about the guys who just make the calls. Mike Evans had an outstanding game, and it's it's a lot of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with him, as he, he'll come on one game, and then he'll have uh, that one game against the Saints where he had literally no catches for no yards. But in this game, he comes out with 11 catches for 198 yards, two touchdowns. But the Bucks only have two and five to show for this pretty talented offense for the most part. I think we know what the problem is with the Bucks' offense. But maybe we could take it a step further and say they don't have a running because everyone's going to point it at Jameis, right? The turnovers are a problem and they are a legit problem. But how about the fact they don't really have a running game to bounce off of Jameis? Because Jameis goes for consistently like 
250 yards, 300 yards a week. He puts in a lot of air yards, but their ground game just never gives him any help. I don't know. Is it, What would you say is more of a problem with the Bucks? I think Jameis is definitely a problem. I, I, I can't, like, ignore it out of the sake of, like, other things because he just makes very bad mistakes with the football and sometimes like those those fumbles that he had those interceptions that they had that those were nobody's fault but his own those are just bad decisions and bad choices on the field that he's got to be responsible for so even if you have no run game if you have a QB that's making less mistakes and better decisions then it's probably gonna work out for you now that being said Jameis is also very talented he can air the ball out really far and that makes sure some really great plays to to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. But it comes to a point where you gotta think, do you do you want all this talent with um with little responsibility to it, with the with little like security to it, I should say, in in terms of like his mistakes and all the things he does wrong, or would you rather have less talent with a guy who makes better decisions and the play calling has been really good under under Bruce Arians, and I think if they got a QB that could minimize the mistakes, I think this team would go a lot farther than where they are now. Because a lot of these games have come down to those mistakes Jameis has made too, so, and we gotta keep that into account too. Yeah, this is another tough loss. The Bucks are a couple of plays away from being a three and four at least maybe a four and three team so definitely hurts for them but i mean listen four turnovers it, it's tough to win when you got all, all those turnovers now moving forward we're gonna get back to the titans later because we want to have a whole afc south discussion but quickly let's just touch on this game quickly because it was a big blowout but 49ers and the panthers now i'm just gonna ask you one question because it's gonna be based on the 49ers defense which has been absolutely ridiculous this year does Nick Boza have legit defensive player of the year aspirations? Not rookie defensive rookie of the year, defensive player of the year aspirations. Honestly, I don't have his stats on me right now. I can't tell you, but but has- just from the eye test, I want to like say like it's uh, there's plenty of time, plenty of time to go for him to you know get his stats up. But just from what you've seen watching him, do you think he's a legit elite player and a legitimate defensive? Uh, player of the year candidate. I mean, thinking on the the performances on the defensive end that we've seen this year, I can't think. I, I gotta be honest with you. I really can't think of a player who's like wowed me enough to put him like unanimously ahead of of Nick Bosa. So yeah, I you you might be onto something there. Elaborate, just, just elaborate because- on it. So, sell me on it. Sell me on it right now. I'm not going to sell you right now that he's ready because I think Miles Garrett has also had a ridiculous year. Of course, you could throw Aaron true, Donald true, this true. as well. But this performance that he had this week, this is like a J.J. Watt type performance. He had three sacks, three, four solo tackles, and an interception. He was just all over the place. And there... He's always rushing. I don't have his QB hurry stats, but I'm sure they're ridiculous because he's always in the quarterback's face. And if he's not making the sack, he's rushing the quarterback out of the pocket. So Boza has absolutely impressed me. And I think you got to consider him at least 
for, for this award. I Like I said, I have his stats in front of me right now, and they're pretty good, but compared to the rest of the league, maybe he isn't ready for that yet, but he does lead the league in tackles for loss. Sacks, he's still a little far behind the curve. He's, got, he's seventh in the league, which isn't that far off, but, you know, a guy like Miles Garrett has probably been more efficient in that range, but, you know, Nick Bosa is definitely an elite caliber player, and I, he's probably been leading this 49ers defense to being one of the best in the in the league. No arguments. Do you, me you that. have any other comments about the 49ers? You think the 49ers are for real? And in terms of, you know, you look at the Saints and the Packers, and that's probably the high class of the NFC. And the 49ers have also written, wrote a pretty easy schedule, but if they have beat up the Panthers or a 4-2 team coming into this game, and they looked like they weren't in the same league as the Niners. So are the Niners in the... I it's so, it's not, it's so stupid to say, are they in the discussion with the Saints and the Packers? Because the Niners have a better record than them. Yeah, but, they are. They are. I mean, yeah, they are, but... Because they're going to play this year, actually. Go, I, I don't know exactly the weeks, but the 49ers play the Packers and the Saints this season. So can you see them winning one or both of those games? Yeah, I could see them winning either of those games. But do I think they win both? No. It's tough because I, I love their defense and I love their offense, too. And it's not like the high-powered Kansas City offense. It's a more balanced attack with... Jimmy G with Kittle. He can find Kittle over the middle. He's They have Emmanuel Sanders now who's going to help the vertical game a little bit. The running attack is really... <laughs> Tevin Coleman, how about three touchdowns this week? You had him on your fantasy team. He had a good week. And then Matt Burrito, who's one of the fastest runners in the league. So a lot to like with this Niners team. But now, let's go forward with your team. Your Las Vegas Raiders. Okay. Tough performances. I listen. This is an. I would say Houston Texans are an elite team in this league in the AFC, and the Raiders led the game for a solid portion of it. And that's what made it hurt. I yeah, it, it definitely hurt to watch, especially when one of your guys literally kicks Deshaun Watson in the eye, and Deshaun Watson still throws a touchdown pass. Shakes it off. But, I mean, let's let's get on your team real quick. You had to have seen stuff to like about this, uh, about your the Raiders' performance here. I do have pot, a lot of positive things to say about them because this was the gauntlet that all Raiders fans were, were fearing this year. These five straight road games against a lot of great teams, the Vikings, the Colts. The, the Bears, who have fallen off a bit, but still still a solid team. Um, the, the Texans, and I'm forgetting a team that we played, that we lost to. Oh, the Packers. Yeah, figures why I would forget that game. Um, and yeah, we, we played a lot of great teams in this stretch, all on the road, all away from Oakland. And we, we came out. Three and four, which we're not, I'm not mad at. And when you look at the second half of the schedule for the Raiders, they have the third easiest schedule in the league. So they might get 
you know, a positive net total of wins this year. They might push it to nine and seven or ten and six. But I won't get my hopes up. I'll, I'll stick. I'll stay. I'll stay. Like you know, happy with what we what we got now. How we're playing right now, and hopefully, when it comes to games like this in the future, we're gonna do better and we'll actually win them. But also, comes down to the defense. The defense has been horrible. And trading Gary and Conley. Listen, in this game, Gary and Conley got burned. Everybody could see that, but. He was still our best corner, which is which is saying a lot. So yeah, we we suck on defense. We need to improve there, maybe with a an addition at the trade deadline. And our receiver group could get better too, because Derek Carr um needs some help in in the game. I mean Tyrell Williams, who's been great all year, he still dropped a few passes. So maybe having some extra help to divert away from Tyrell Williams would would go a long way as well. So those are the things I need to look at moving forward to to see a real chance at this Raiders team doing something something big this season. But the future looks bright overall. You guys look way better than expected, I feel like. Every week you got guys like Hunter Renfro had a big time touchdown run this week. Of course, Darren Waller, he actually didn't have a great game this week, but you know, he's always been at the top of the tight end leaderboards. Raiders have definitely overexceeded expectations. It seems like you guys got a lot of it feels like a lot of Mayox guys. Like these guys these random guys from these colleges you wouldn't expect uh, not Hunter Renfro of course, but you go outside of that. Guys like Trevor Davis, Foster Moreau, and on the defensive side of the ball, uh Max Crosby. It seems like you got a lot of guys who were just low key and they get down to business and it the Raiders are a good team going forward, I feel like. Not that they're going to be a playoff team, but can they compete for a spot? I think absolutely. I think you guys are going to be in the wild card race until week 15, week 16. So And they, it's just going to make it hurt more when we don't get that <laughs> playoff spot. So thank you I, for that. Well, let's get out of that into to transition into the AFC South because it looks like they might take up the, the wild card spots. Everyone in the AFC South is over 500 this year, and we think the Texans are the best team out of it, but the Texans lost to the Colts last week, and the Colts are leading the division right now. So is this division as stacked as you think, or did teams like the Titans, you know, maybe they got lucky the past two weeks, or are they just a legit team? And, you know, the Colts too. The Colts have had all seven games decided by seven points or fewer. And then you throw the Jags in there, and the Jags have had some close games as well. Is this AFC South uh, one of the best divisions in football, or are they just a kind of middling group who just has some solid to below average teams? No, I think they're definitely one of the um the best divisions. And when you have solid teams uh, across the board, that already puts you among the best in my book. I mean, the Colts, the Colts have been really good on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. The Texans have Deshaun Watson, who is a superstar. And DeAndre Hopkins, also a superstar. And that defense needs some work. And that offensive line could still be improved. But the direction they're heading is good. And they're already a dangerous team primed for playoff contention. So you got to like where they're going. And the Jags with a great defense, um, a great running game with Leonard Fournette. And 
Gardner Mishu connect, connecting with um, his receivers like DJ Chark and DD Westbrook. You got to like that as well. And how about if I can interview, how about Fournette with the comeback season? Because last year, a lot of people were, you know, they thought the issues with Tom Coughlin. They thought, can this, is this guy even going to finish up as a Jag? But he's been outstanding for them this season. And he nice. looks like the Leonard Fournette we saw at LSU, who was this game-changing running back who was going to be physical, run downhill, and just destroy you with physicality. And we, we forgot one more team. You, got for, you can't forget the Ryan Tannehill-led Tennessee Titans. And they've just, they've just came back. And they have a solid defense. And if Ryan Tannehill continues to play at this level, at a level that that this offense is at least, you know, sufficient, then they're going to win games off of that alone. And yeah, this overall, this is just a dangerous division. You don't want to play any team from this division if you're in the hunt for a playoff spot. I'm going to disagree with a little bit there. I think even the Colts, I don't want to say, I'm not going to say they're like, like frauds or fake or anything like that, but I think... They're not as good as their record says. Like I said, all seven games decided by seven points or less. They could have gone either way. And I don't want that to take away from what the Colts have done. They, they've been a great team. They've, they've won these close games. They've taken care of business when it mattered. They beat the Chiefs on the road with Mahomes. Like, that's an impressive win. But I think the Colts can be tripped up. Like, they could have easily lost this Broncos game. And... They lost to the Raiders at home, too. So this would have been two questionable home losses they had. But they got past it. And I just can see the Colts getting tripped up as the season goes by. The Titans the Titans could have easily lost the past two games. If Melvin Gordon doesn't fumble at the goal line, you know, maybe they lose that one against the Chargers. And then, of course, this week with the ref not noticing the, the ball is free before blowing the whistle. I don't know if I'm sold on the Titans either. I think the Texans I'm definitely sold on. And the Jags, I, I'm losing Jalen Ramsey is the only thing that makes me not because I had picked the Jags as a playoff team going into the season, but you lose a guy like Jalen Ramsey and it's tough for me to be all on board with them. So I actually am not as sold on this division as you are, but I am I mean Listen, we're eight week, we're two months through the season, and every team's over five hundred, so at five hundred or better. So, it, that's impressive to say the least. So, moving forward to them, moving forward to our last two games. Now we had the Browns and the Patriots as the big four o'clock game. This Browns team stuck in there. I will say that. You know, it could have gotten really bad early. They had three turnovers in the first quarter, and they were down 17-0. But they fought back. They put up 10 straight points, and it was a 17-10 game in the third quarter. But then Brady drives down the field, 14-yard touchdown pass to Julian Edelman, who had a fantastic game. This Patriots team is unbelievable. They have five. Did they get another? Okay, no, five defensive touchdowns that they have scored. And they have only allowed four offensive touchdowns this year. It's wild. Let that that sink in because that's just not even, that's not supposed to happen. First of all, the stat alone of them allowing four touchdowns through eight games is ridiculous in itself. 
but now that they have they have five touchdowns, they they score more touchdowns on defense than they allowed. That's just on that's unheard of. And this Patriots team wins by a large margin every week. Their point differential is borderline historic. I, th- I think it is historic right now. But listen, they ha- they're another team. I, I We keep going back to these easy schedules, but they have played a lot of teams that aren't at 500. And now they're going to get their first real test this week with the Ravens. They're going to play teams like the Cowboys, Chiefs, Texans, Eagles. Is this... Patriots run of just utter dominance about to finally show up. Maybe the offense doesn't play up to their standard. Is it finally going to come to an end or do you see them rolling through their tough part of the schedule as well? I think they're still beatable. I don't, I don't think that like the, the Browns lingered in this game for a while. They did. And they, and they weren't playing their best football either even though Brown's best football this season is not, not that good. But anyways, um, like if I yeah. can interrupt you again, if Nick Chubb doesn't fumble that 60 yard run, you know, it's a completely different game. It's not a 17, nothing exactly, in the first exactly. quarter. It's like a, it's a maybe a 14 to seven game, 10 to seven game after the first quarter. Yeah. And they, they were in this and they had their opportunities to, to score against this Pats defense. They, they weren't, they were they didn't look lost out there like other teams have and the, the browns are not the most offensively proficient team this year either so i think as they face tougher co- competition i think you're going to see that this team is beatable they're still a really good team that's not taking anything away definitely a super bowl contender still that's that's definitely not going away either but they are a team that's that's going to be beaten one way or another and I just don't know if I buy into all of the the sixteen and zero talk surrounding them. Yeah, we've been hearing a lot about that lately. This is an incredible team. Even on offense, Tom Brady has had a pretty like I don't want to say outstanding because he's had way better seasons. But he's thirteen touchdowns to four interceptions, twenty two hundred fifty one yards. He's gonna probably hit four thousand yards, and. You know, he's just been the model of efficiency this year. He's not making mistakes. He's pushing the ball downfield. And then this running game, Sony Michelle has, you know, he's not going to wow you by any means, but he's going to get what they need. When they need Sony Michelle to get a couple yards, he's going to go get a couple yards. When they need a goal line touchdown from Sony Michelle, they're going to get it from him. And then James White had a long 59 yard reception that put them in position for that. Julian Edelman touchdown. So they have him as well, who's a fantastic receiving threat out of the backfield. I I still think the Chiefs are a team that can beat the Patriots. Outside of the Chiefs, I don't see teams that are ready to beat the Patriots. Maybe they get caught, like they get tripped up by the Ravens this week, whatever. I'm talking about playoffs, Super Bowl. I'll put the Chiefs and the Saints as two legitimate teams that can beat the Patriots. But when you have Bill Belichick and Brady, nothing's given. So all I'm giving them is a chance because not only do they have Brady and Belichick, but they have a historic defense now. And they are playing at a level that is just unbelievable. And it's it's going to be crazy to see that Patrick Mahomes-led Chiefs offense, hopefully he's as close to 100% as possible playing against the Patriots. That offense, which is high-powered and 
can just attack you from every angle against this defense that does not let up. That does not... There's no bend-not-break mentality. I feel like that was the mentality with them the 2017 season specifically. Bend, don't break. This this defense does not bend. So I can't wait to see the Chiefs come in there and uh, play the Patriots. Getting into the Chiefs now. They played a Sunday night game against the Green Bay Packers. And credit to the Kansas City Chiefs. Had a lead in this game after the first half. Tied it up in the fourth quarter. With Matt Moore, were you impressed with the Chiefs? Were you expecting the Chiefs to be this competitive without Mahomes? Um, I I guess I can say yes, but not to this extent against the Packers of all teams. I think against the Broncos, I expected a much better performance than than what they they put out against the Packers. I thought. Maybe Aaron Rodgers would be way too way too much for them to handle and keep up with, but no, Andy Reid had a really good game plan for for the Packers, and they were able to keep it close throughout. And it just shows with all these offensive weapons on the Chiefs, they they can survive without even their best player, and that's that's really good. But on the other side, um, Aaron Rodgers is just so good. He made a lot of crazy plays, and Aaron Jones. With 159 receiving yards all night, they've been re- over the past few weeks. The Packers have really been using their running backs to the to the full extent that they can. And I gotta give um, head coach Matt Matt Lafleur credit for how he's been game planning the p- past few weeks as well. So yeah, this was this was a fun game, and I think we got to know a lot about these two teams. And I think once Mahomes comes back, I think the Chiefs are gonna be even better than they are. Well. I- what you said about LaFleur using the running backs, losing Devontae Adams definitely forced them to kind of, hey, our receivers aren't really ready. Montez, Marquez Valdez-Scanling only had one catch for four yards. Geronimo Allison, one catch for seven yards. So these guys, while they're talented, they're still projects. And when you lose a guy like Devontae Adams, you need to be more creative with the offense. And Aaron Rodgers, this guy, has, he's on a comeback tear because you know people I feel like a lot of people were slandering Rodgers and of course now people can be like oh well no one ever said that everyone knew how great he was last year I couldn't stop hearing about well Rodgers throws it away all the time what's what's going on with Rodgers now and you know the Packers struggled last year but Rodgers is an unbelievable quarterback and all we had to see to know that is that throw he made into the corner of the end zone to Jamal Williams. I mean, come on. He literally falling away, flicks that ball into the corner of the end zone. And he said in the press conference, it was he saw Jimmy Graham there and he saw someone cutting to the back. So he said he wanted Jimmy to get it, but if he overthrew it, he the other guy would get it. And the other guy was Jamal Williams, and he comes down with an unbelievable throw from Rodgers. And Rodgers was just outstanding in this game. Not to, Matt Moore was really great too. He 24 for 36, 267 yards against a very talented secondary. Definitely a lot of credit to Matt Moore. And if LaShawn McCoy doesn't fumble late in the game, you know, the Chiefs can definitely tie that up or take the lead. And 
it, it hurts to see, but at least they're competitive with uh, an elite team like the Packers without their star quarterback. Uh, yeah, and I, I, you know what, you know, I'm also an Aaron Rodgers fan. I always stick up for him, so I'll, I'll add on, I'll pile on to what you're saying. Like, I don't know how people can doubt this man. Like, he is. It's crazy that we're once, once he's gone, we're, we're gonna realize like how good we had it was witnessing him play football, and that's, that's like big, big praise. But like, I, I don't care. Like, I think people take that guy for for too much granted like way too much and once he's gone people are gonna realize how great he is i think similar thing happened with brett Favre. brett Favre got a lot of hate towards the end of his career i don't i don't know if you remember that yeah that was because he moved around from the packers to the jets to the vikings and the whole retirement i'm retired i'm coming back and yeah uh, especially with Rodgers, people come out and say some people said he's a bad teammate, all that stuff. They yeah, try exactly. to cloud. They try to cloud the image a little bit. And listen, whatever you want to say about his image, who he is off the field, whatever. On the field, Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the game. Right wow. Now. Okay. Okay. And I mean, listen, I go back and forth with him and Brady all the time because I don't think not Mahomes. Brady, Mahomes isn't in the conversation. Anymore. Him and Russ, Russell Wilson's also in the conversation. Oh, These is. guys are all in the conversation. But I think if you just look past, you know, Aaron Rodgers just consistently does it, I feel like. And when he was injured a couple of years ago, came back last year and wasn't his, his best, his like, yeah, his worst year was, was, was like two interceptions, so like 25, 25 touchdowns, two interceptions. Yeah. Like that's his offseason. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. That's the, that's the and bad season. And he was trash for that, apparently. He was he was absolute garbage for, for 25 touchdowns and two interceptions. It's insane. And now he's back at his, his, seems like his full powers. The Packers are 7-1. He's got 16 touchdowns and two interceptions. Probably going to throw over 4,000 yards at least. Another great year by Rodgers, and it's going to be great to see Aaron Rodgers back in the postseason. Hopefully all goes right with the Packers. They finish off the season strong, and we can see this guy back in the playoffs because he's a very special playoff performer. And, man, imagine a Packers-Saints NFC Championship game. That would be great. Ooh. That would be great. We need Rodgers in a Super Bowl again. Or, that, or that, a oh rematch, Packers-Seahawks, maybe Russ and Rodgers. The playoff again. matchups could be really good. Oh if we get the Ro- we could get the Rodgers Brady Super Bowl this year. We could get it. We could get it. We could it's get possible. the Breeze Brady Super Bowl. We could get we were supposed to get Rodgers Mahomes on this Sunday night. Brady Brady Russ rematch? Yo, that oh my god. So many good possibilities. So many. Yeah, I mean this was this could have been a preview, to be honest. This is probably the first game we've seen all year that serves as a legitimate possible preview and it's of course it's depending on if Mahomes gets back fully healthy but this Packers team is legit this Chiefs team proved that without their quarterback they could still be a good unit and this NFL season is shaped this is pretty much the first half of the season's over now and we are going in to an insane second half which should lead to a playoffs with Brady going back for number seven. Mahomes still hungry, ready to pounce and be a legit 
superstar. In this Honestly, league. I feel I feel like the season's underrated like a lot so far. It's been really good. A Very lot of, entertaining like, and a like, lot of twists and turns. A lot of like unexpected I said, the, stuff. The 49ers have to play the Packers and the Saints. Uh the Cowboys and Eagles play again. Uh the Seahawks and 49ers still have to play twice. The Patriots play the Eagles. Patriots play the Cowboys. Chiefs play with the Chiefs play. I feel like the Chiefs play someone good too. Chiefs play the Patriots. I mean, we're we're gonna get into a crazy second half. And think and about what's already happened. Kyle Allen, Gardner Minshew, all the trades that have happened. Excuse me? Excuse me? What? Like, I just brought up all those crazy scenarios, and then you're like, oh yeah, and then Kyle Allen. No, but Kyle Allen's a big story of this of this season. What uh, do you mean? Uh, uh, Coming in on. and leading the the Panthers to to playoff caliber team, an undrafted QB. We're we're not we're not acting like that's a big deal. I'm that's unprecedented. Co- that's that that doesn't happen. But I just brought up like two, really two like- actually two. No, no, wait, because Gardner Minshew was seventh round pick, but, but a seventh round pick and an undrafted free uh, an undrafted free agent coming in and leading their teams into playoff contention. Those are big things. No, no, and no. I- it's cool. It's cool. But I just brought up like all those crazy matchups, and then your first retort was Kyle Allen. Okay, because Just I'm was thinking of like all the twists and turns that happened this season. Mahomes going down was crazy. Everybody mm-hmm. was in, in shambles, thinking about like what's gonna happen next. Like, there's been so much drama just outside of just the matchups too that has made the season really exciting. That no, you're right. You're right. You got it. You got it. But uh, you know, your guy Kyle Allen. I mean, I was the one who actually fought for Kyle Allen. I know. I don't. I don't know why you're so offended. And, that's but that's I mean, your guy. Well, now here's another guy coming back for the second half of the season. Cam Newton. Maybe Cam Newton's going to have his say. They, they said um, he's he's not starting this for week. For this so. week. But, I mean, I think the Panthers are all they needed. Like, if Kyle Allen can't compete with... I know the 49ers have an elite defense, second best in the league. But Kyle Allen did not look at all capable out there. So, it, you can't just leave Cam on the burner when Kyle Allen puts up a performance like that because guess what if the Panthers want to make the playoffs they they play the Packers in a couple weeks they're gonna have to beat teams like the Packers so maybe Cam's not ready and maybe he tried to rush back and they they, got to make sure Cam's ready but if Cam's ready they got because listen their team with playoff aspirations as well they still have good players Christian McCaffrey's another MVP candidate we didn't really talk about much yep and you know they're gonna need a, a fully healthy Cam Newton for that run so yeah, a lot, a lot to look forward to in the second half of the season. It is going to be crazy, a crazy college football playoff race, crazy yep. NFL season, and we LSU are gonna number be- one. Things are L- changing. LSU versus Alabama in a couple weeks. Too. Exactly. Oh man, so much, so much stuff going on. And we're going to be, gonna be here for all of it. So we hope you guys keep listening. We hope you barring enjoy technical this issues. You know, that's that's a thing, but that we have to deal with, but. You know, we're, we're going to be we'll here. Deal with we're going to make we'll sure we're it. here and we will see you guys next time. Peace.